Okay. Well, you can be opening up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We're going to spend a little time in there today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, we'll be reading a few verses from there. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we've been uh, looking at baptism. And what does it mean? What is baptism? What is water baptism? What? Looking at questions around it. Um, what is the purpose of it? Is it essential? Is it something that we are required to do? Is it something that we are required to go through? And we looked at how the apostles preached baptism, how they, how they dealt with it in their mission, in their sermons, as they went about their business, preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then we looked in the letters of Paul and the letters of Peter, and how they preached baptism, and how they talked about it, and described it, and determined its purpose, and how they dealt with people who were believers and how baptism was such an essential part of that. And then the last couple of weeks, we started looking at some re objections that people have to what the, the concept that baptism is part of the salvation plan, right? The plan of salvation. Baptism of water. What, what people say to object to that. And, and the first week, we looked at the thief on the cross. We, know, we all know about the thief on the cross that asked the Lord to remember him when he came into his kingdom and Jesus said, from this day forward, you will be with me in paradise. We know, we know that thief was saved, but we don't know that he was baptized. And we talked about how some will use that argument to say, baptism is not essential to salvation. You don't have to be baptized. But we talked about that all came before the command was ever given, remember? Matthew 28, Mark 16, where he said, go out into all the world, making disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That came a little while later. They did not have that command. And we talked about how the Old Testament was done away. They were still under the Old Testament law at that time. And in fact, it's interesting if you think about it, and we don't usually think about it when we look at the thief on the cross, but the thief on the cross was still under the old law, just like David, just like Moses, just like the Israelites were at that time. And yet we know, we know Moses was saved. We know Moses is in heaven with the Lord. Think of the transfiguration. There he was with Elijah. So we talked about how that was not really relevant to the issue. Not really something that you can use to argue against essentiality of baptism. And then last week we talked about the household of Cornelius and how some will say, well, Cornelius received the gift, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit before he was saved. And we talked about how Peter was sent to him and his household to deliver words unto which they would be saved. And we looked at the scripture in uh, Acts 10 and Acts 11, and we figured out that even though they received that Holy Spirit before they were baptized, that doesn't mean that they were saved. And we talked about how in Acts 11, when Peter's recounting that experience at the council in Jerusalem, he says, as I began to speak, the Spirit fell upon them and they began to speak in tongues, just like it had at us at the beginning. He's referring back to Pentecost, right? He's referring back to that time when he and the apostles received that gift to be able to speak in tongues, that miraculous gift from the Spirit. And so we see, we can see from there that that doesn't prove anything about the fact that they were already saved. They still had to be spoken to words to understand what they needed to do to be saved. And we know that they were baptized in water. So we've looked at several cases today. We're going to look at another objection that's commonly raised concerning the necessity of baptism, and it's based on a statement that Paul used when he wrote his letter to the church at Corinth. And, and you may have heard this. I've heard it many times. 
And let's just go read it. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 14. Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Christmas and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I have baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. And then notice the verse. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. All right. Well, taking those verses, especially verse 17, some might say, well, that's a very odd statement. If baptism was necessary, why would Paul say he didn't come to baptize? I mean, if you've got to be baptized, why would Paul say that? And is that truly a statement that can be used legitimately to argue against the essentiality of baptism? Well, as in any study, you need to take the context of the Scripture, right? You should never take one Scripture and just say, that's it. You need to understand the context that that Scripture was written in or spoke, or, or if he's quoting someone, what was the context around that quote, right? And you'll hear that from people that object to, to baptism, right? They'll say that. You've got to understand that in context. Yet they'll take that Scripture out completely of context. So it's interesting. What was the context around these verses? Well, let's go back a few verses. Go back to verse 10 there. And let's read what he said there. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. Hmm. Apparently there were some things going on there that he's having to speak to. But that you perfectly join together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am Cephas, or I am of Christ. Notice this verse. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Interesting, interesting set of verses there. And you have to look at those verses to fully get the picture of what he's talking about in verse 17, right? Now, I've, I've, uh, I've always considered myself to be of, of Brother Kyle. He's our preacher, right? So I'm a Brother Kyle. And then a couple weeks ago, Memorial Day, Brother Jay Hall spoke on that morning, and I was thinking, man, I, actually, I think I'm of Jay. And then that night, Ben got up and spoke, and I said, well, I don't know. I think I'm actually of Ben. And then I got home. And Jolene starts saying, uh, where's my dinner? Why haven't you vacuumed this floor in here? Why haven't you taken those clothes out of the dryer and folded them yet? So then I realized, well, really, I'm of Jolene. <laughs> She's going to kill me for that, I know. But, and I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. But seriously, seriously speaking, these brethren were divided over who had baptized them, which is really a strange thing, isn't it? Yet, that's kind of a human nature thing, isn't it? Kind of a human tendency, is it not? Let's look at that a little further. Turn over to the book of Acts, and let's look at Acts chapter 18. And let's read a few verses from there. Beginning, Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> so after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, 
who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Now when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Sorry, Jews. You don't get to hear the preaching of Paul. Amazing. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. All right. So here we even read in Acts 18. We actually see the record where Paul actually did the baptize, actually went and, and preached. Crispus was baptized, his household. It kind of becomes apparent that Paul was preaching baptism, wasn't he? I mean, there were a lot of folks there in Corinth who he's writing to who believed upon hearing and were baptized. So hearing that, reading that, can we take verse 17 out of 1 Corinthians 1 and say, well, he doesn't think baptism is important. He's there to preach. Baptism is not a big deal. He's saying, I didn't come to baptize, so baptism can't be essential, right? Can we say that? Let's take a little closer look to what, what's going on here. Obviously, we have the visions in 1 Corinthians 1 in the church in Corinth, and the division was a result of, you might call it, preacheritis, right? They were claiming, I'm a Paul or I'm a Paulus, and as Paul explained later, they were thinking too highly of the different preachers. There were several that were there preaching the gospel. As Paul left, there were some that were still there. They're having to preach. They're baptizing in the name of the Lord. And Paul has something to say about saying you're of Apollos or you're of Paul. Turn over to chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians. Let's look at that for a minute. Beginning of verse 1. <clears throat> he says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul... And another, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Their attitude was carnal. What does that mean? Well, I, I think of carnality as being what? Worldly, right? Being of the world, thinking of the world. We just talked about this when we were studying the Gospel of John. How Jesus talked to his disciples and says, You are not of the world. You've been set aside. You've been sanctified. You've been taken out of the world. Sure, you've got to be in the world. But you're God's. You're not part of the world. And what he's saying to them is you're still acting like babes. You're still acting like you're part of the world. You're carnal. You're dividing yourselves over a stupid thing about who's baptized them. That's what Paul is saying. He's basically saying it's very much a sin. It's very much against God's design. Very much 
not part of the kingdom. It's worldly. It's carnal. Again, we've talked about that many times. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. And it's hard sometimes, right? It's hard sometimes to keep from thinking like the world, right? It's so uh, pervasive. It's so influential to us. We see it everywhere. Paul says it's carnal. Read on there in verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers to whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. The preachers were just servants. They were just men. Paul's saying, these guys just worked in the field. They're just servants of God. They're, they're not anything. Just like them. Here in our congregation here, we have many. We're all just men and women. We're all just brothers and sisters. Sure, we have some with different roles. We have elders, we have deacons, we have preachers, teachers. But no one is better than anybody else. We're all here together. We're all simply here serving God. Some have been appointed to certain roles, and that's right. We read that from Scripture. We know that from the truth. But that doesn't mean they're any better than anybody else. And that doesn't mean they don't need help to get to heaven, just like everybody else. Reading on, let's go down to verse 21. Paul says, Therefore let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. You see, we were bought with a price. Jesus said his blood for those who believe, for his church, we are bought with a price. We are his, and just like he is God's. Just like these servants were his. You're not theirs, you're God's, just like they were. We're all the same. So, Paul is saying, do not be associating, do not be assigning yourself, do not be dividing yourself over the fact that you are baptized by a certain purpose. Person. And we read that from verse 13, right? We read that that's because apparently that's what was happening. They were, being, they were saying, I'm of a certain person because that's the person that baptized them. We were baptized. Well, Paul says something about that in verse 13. Let's go back and read it. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? The implication here is that they were claiming to be of whoever baptized them. Which is why Paul was glad he only personally baptized a few. Go back to 14 again. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Paul is kind of saying he's thankful that he did not baptize many, or else there would be a lot more of them saying, I am a Paul. Interesting statement, and it kind of helps us to understand verse 17, doesn't it? Paul was adding, uh, addressing a problem. 
in Corinth. We're, are we to construe from this that Paul didn't preach baptism? Are we to construe from this that Paul didn't think baptism was necessary? Is that what he's really saying here? Well, Luke records Paul's work at Corinth and how he worked with Acryl and Priscilla. We read that in Acts 18, particularly verses 1 through 3, and how he reasoned in the synagogues, testified to the Jews about Christ, and then he, he, they, he was rejected. He was rejected by those Jews, the unbelieving Jews, and how he said, now I'm going to go to the uh, Gentiles. Luke records the success of his preaching to the Gentiles. He says Christmas, the ruler of the synagogue, now he's not, he's not Gentile, but he's saying Christmas was baptized. So there was a couple of Jews that were baptized, and he's referring to that. Uh, many of the Corinthians also believed and were baptized. So it's interesting, if Paul saying baptism is not necessary, he's obviously preaching, isn't it? He's obviously preaching it. So he didn't necessarily personally baptize everyone, but his preaching highlighted the purpose of baptism. The purpose must have been preached. It must have served a significant role. It must have been something that those in Corinth heard because they did it. They went through it, right? And remember, we mention this every week, Romans 6. What did Paul write to the Romans? When you're baptized into Christ, you are baptized into his death. Baptized into his death. Buried with him in baptism, raised again to newness of life, just like Jesus was raised. Interesting statements, interesting concepts. So it appears to me there's a little more going on here than just taking verse 17 and saying, Paul doesn't believe baptism was necessary. Let's look at his reasoning for a minute there. And this is very interesting. Pay attention to this in verse 13. What he says, let's read that again. He says, is Christ divided was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? What's Paul saying there? What's the implication of that verse, of those two verses? He's saying, in essence, if you're a Paul, then you had to be baptized in his name. And in essence, if you're a Paul, Paul had to have been crucified for them. Was that the case? No, obviously not. Obviously, that is not the case. Neither had happened. And that's why he's saying you shouldn't be calling yourselves after men. None of them were crucified for them, and none of, none of those folks were baptized in their name. In fact, to be called after Christ, what are, what's required? Two things, right? Christ has to be crucified for you, which he was, and you have to be baptized in the name of Christ which hopefully you were. If not, then you really can't say you're a Christian, can you? If you were not baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, I don't think you're considered a Christian. You might think, oh, I, 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 I was, I was, um, I knew what I was talking about. I was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and, and so be it. If that's what you think, if that's true, then fine. But there is a difference. There is a difference in John's baptism. Remember? When Priscilla had to be rebaptized in the name of Jesus Christ. 
So in the very context of the passage, we may use to claim baptism is not essential. Paul implies one cannot be called a Christian unless they've been baptized in the name of Christ. So how are we to understand Paul's statement? For Christ did not send one to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He's telling us that I didn't, I wasn't crucified for you. You weren't baptized in my name. So what's he make, what's, his, what's he saying with that verse? What does that verse really mean? Well, turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. And let's look at a few verses from Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and let's begin in verse 1. <clears throat> he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Remember, we talked about the Cornelius' household, how Peter still didn't understand that. Paul's saying that now. He didn't understand that the gospel's for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. In Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. You see, Paul, remember, when the church was established, when the king was established, he was persecuting the Christians, remember? His name was Saul then. And then he was headed to Damascus to put some more in prison. And lo and behold, he saw the light. Remember? Yeah. As is recounted several times in Acts, how the Lord blinded him and said, Go on into Damascus, and you'll be told what you need to do he became a great preacher of the gospel. In fact, let's look over in Galatians and let's read a couple verses in there and see what else he has to say about that. Galatians chapter 1. And first look at, let's just look at the first verse. Paul, an apostle not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul claims himself as an apostle right here. And he said it wasn't on his doing, it wasn't on the doing of men, it was from God. And his grace was imparted to Paul. Paul was killing the Christians. Remember, when Stephen was stoned, he was holding the coats. That he was given grace. And he believed, and he was given a mission to preach that gospel. So, if he's doing this, if he's given this mission, if he's claiming he's an apostle, what's he been sent to do? Preach the gospel. In fact, the word apostle means one sent. That's what it means. He was sent to preach the gospel. That was his pure soul mission now, to 
preach the gospel to everyone, but mainly to the Gentiles. It's explained in that Ephesians was given the task to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, which had been a mystery. And now he's able to proclaim the truth for those who would believe and become followers of Jesus Christ. Interesting how that preaching the gospel resulted in baptism. People being baptized. We read that in Acts 18, right? But did that mean he had to do the baptizing? No. He had companions, right? Had many that traveled with him. When he went into the cities in Asia, he had companions with him always. He was always traveling with other folks. They could very well have been doing the baptizing. He didn't have to do it. It doesn't matter who's doing the baptism as long as they're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ, right? He was sent to preach. Well, this happened at Corinth, right? He only baptized a few. But we know there were many that were baptized from Acts 18, right? Interesting concept, right? So when you think about it that way, it's kind of easy to see what that statement means. He was sent as an apostle to preach the gospel. John 6 and verse 27, we actually looked at this verse a little bit when we were studying the gospel of John. And there's a statement that the Lord makes. And he says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life. Okay? He says, do not labor for the food that perishes. Well, what was Jesus saying when he said that? Was he saying, you don't need to work. You don't need to go work to get food. I mean, you got to eat, of course. I mean, that goes without saying, right? But he said, you don't need to work for food that perishes. Seek out the food that is to everlasting life. What did he mean by that? Did he mean that we weren't supposed to work? No. That's obvious, is it not? Any sane person would recognize that, right? Now let's go back and read verse 17 there. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The same thing. Did he say, you don't need to be baptized? No. He's saying, more importantly, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm sent to preach the gospel. Just like he's saying, more importantly, to seek the food that doesn't perish. Doesn't mean not to be baptized. Brother Paul Crittmer, we were talking about this last week. It's a way of talking, right? A way of speaking. We were just discussing this last Sunday. Interesting how it comes up in the next lesson when you do that, isn't it? That's how we talk, right? We don't sit there and say, okay, I came here to preach, not to baptize. But remember, you got to hear, you got to believe, you got to repent, you got to confess, you got to be baptized. We don't talk like that, right? Certain things are just implied in what we say. And we figure you know what we're talking about. Now, sometimes when the wife says, I thought I told you to go clean the house. And you might have heard, hey, uh, I'm going to be gone for a little while. Can you kind of uh, 
you know, take care of some things for me? And the husband says, that's not what I heard. I thought you meant like, uh, I don't know, go mow the yard or, or, or take a bath maybe. I don't know. You know, there's certain things that are implied when we say things, right? I know, I'm, I'm giving Jolene a hard time today. I'm going to get in trouble for it probably, but that's okay. I'm trying to make a point. She's watching, so I know she's sitting there going, what are you saying? Yeah. But the point is, that's how we speak, right? It's not anything to do with the fact that he's saying baptism's not necessary. <clears throat> if you have your outlines with you, there's some comments from commentaries that are written here. I'm just going to... I'm going to read these rather than talk about who they are. Uh, one he has here on the back page here is from Barnes. He says, in, in describing verse 17, he says, That is not to baptize as my main business. Baptism was not his principal employment. Though he had a commission in common with others to administer the ordinance and occasionally did it. Hmm. Number two, uh, according to uh, Ferrer's commentary, I think that's Dr. Henry Ferrer, who I had in class at Harding one time, but anyways. I'm not, no, I didn't. I, knew it was, I didn't have him. Anyways, never mind. According to Semitic idiom, not so much to baptize as the word sent involves the meaning, made me an apostle. The primary function of an apostle was to bear witness. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because what did Jesus say? We just studied in John. When Pilate asked him if he was a king, and he's a king of the Jews, he says, I am. And he said, what, what are you doing? He says, I came here to bear witness of the truth. Now, Jesus could have said, I came here to shed my blood so the church could be saved. But Pilate wouldn't have made anything about that. But we now know that was all part of that, right? He came to bear witness of the truth, and part of that bear witness of the truth was that he needed to die so we could be saved. We had no hope otherwise. You don't have to explain everything in every statement. Number three, baptism was not, was not his principal work not the main business for which Paul was sent. It was part of his work. Otherwise, he would not have baptized Crispus or Gaius or the household of Stephanus. But preaching was his principal work. And number four, bearing in mind Paul's other, other utterances about baptism, verse 17 is to be interpreted in the light of the Semitic manner of lying, laying stress on an issue. Christ sent Paul to preach the gospel rather than to baptize, but this is no depreciation of the value of baptism. All right, so you've probably had somebody say that to you, right? I know I have. It's an interesting verse, right? And if you just take the verse and read it, it kind of kind of makes you wonder maybe, right? Well, why would he say that? You know, baptism is important. Why would he say he didn't come to baptize, you know? But remember, he is an apostle. He came to preach. And before you can be baptized, what do you got to do? You got to hear the gospel, right? We already talked about the fact that Paul came across Philipsilla, who had been baptized in the name of John. They didn't even know anything about receiving a gift of the Holy Spirit that Peter referred to in Acts two, and so they were rebaptized in the name of Christ. <clears throat> now, next week we're going to talk, do a little study on whether baptism is a work, okay? And we're going to talk a lot about the grace of God how we're saved by faith through grace. Actually, by grace through faith, I got that backwards. And it's the free gift of God. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. But many will say that, right? Many will say, well, yeah, baptism is a work. You don't need to do that. 
And Paul right here just said it. He said he's preaching the gospel. It's all, the main thing is the hearing. The main thing is the faith. Not the baptism part. Well, that's an interesting statement to make when you look at Acts 18. When you look at the letters of Peter and Paul that we studied a few weeks ago, how they preached baptism, particularly 1 Peter 3, when he talks about referring back to Noah. Noah and his family were saved through water, and now we are just like that through baptism. Interesting statements, isn't it? If it's not important, then what do those mean? Remember? You can't take just one verse. There's a, a, I think it's a Greek word, synecdoche, meaning you've got to take the whole. You don't necessarily state every little piece of the gospel every time you talk. There are certain things implied, certain things you understand the listener knows and will understand by your speaking. But you can't take just one verse and say, this is it. It's interesting that people will even, use, take, will even take one verse. It, it amazes me, you know? And I think, have they looked at the other verses at all? I mean, it makes no sense to say, well, that's what Paul meant, and then try to read his other verses. They don't, they don't make any sense then. Right? Interesting statements. Many were baptized as a result of Paul's preaching. Paul was glad he did not personally baptize very many in Corinth, or else there would have been more saying, I am a Paul. They were still babes in Christ. They were still being worldly. And you've got to remember, Corinth was a pretty wicked place. You know, they had the temple to Aphrodite, I think, which they had the prostitutes and it was a coastal city, so you had, you know, it was a very transient place. You had sailors coming through there all the time or whatever, and, you know, a lot of nasty stuff going on. So it was a very carnal place. And I would imagine there was a lot of worldly influence that made it difficult to be a Christian. Maybe kind of like it is today in America. We're getting a lot of worldly influence, aren't we? That kind of makes it difficult to be a Christian, Right? We just talked about, a few weeks ago, the Woodstock congregation where they disfellowshipped a sister, right? And how that played out in the media and how it affected one of those elders. <clears throat> Remember, Paul is not saying baptism is not important. In this passage, so many used to say baptism is not important. Paul was simply emphasizing his role as an apostle. As we read in Galatians, he said, I'm an apostle. I was sent to preach. I was commanded to do a work to the Gentiles because he was rejected by the Jews. And for this reason, I am glad he didn't baptize the many of those in Corinth. He was sent to preach the gospel, not to baptize the people. There were others doing that, but that doesn't mean it wasn't important. So, interesting point about that is he even says were you baptized in the name of Paul and that very statement right that very statement kind of makes it true that baptism is necessary does it not he's saying you couldn't be baptized in my name because I didn't die for you but you were baptized in the name of Christ so you are of Christ the implication the very reference he makes there is saying baptism is necessary is it not if you think about it 
Sure, you can take that verse out of context. You cannot think about it. And it kind of sounds, that's what he's saying, but no. Isaiah 1.18, let us reason together. The Bible can be difficult to understand at times, but Scripture says, seek and ye shall find. If you're truly seeking and you truly want to find, guess what? You're going to find it. Scripture will play it out for you. But if you're seeking to find something that's not true, you kind of got to take things out of context, don't you? You kind of got to take one verse here or there and say this or that. Make sense? Before we end, were you baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? If not, today's as good as day as any. I know, I'm preaching now. I'm giving an invitation. You don't need to come forward right now. Wait, wait a little bit longer. Uh, I mean, if you want to, I guess you could. We'll, we'll do it, you know. But if you've not been baptized in the name of Christ, as Paul's talking about here in verse 13, then you're not of Christ. And by implication, you're not saved. Make sense? Am I speaking the truth? Well, I'm, I'm just a man. I could be saying, I could be speaking one side and the other side of my mouth. I don't know. You don't know that for sure, right? But that's what the word says, right? Keep that in mind. Okay, I guess the door is opened. Our time is up. Thanks for being here.